Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast Uncancelled and Unplugged, where you get an opportunity to hear from speakers, experts, practitioners who'd anticipated sharing their insights and uh, and experiences on a stage at a, a live event round about now. But of course, due to COVID-19, uh, that's no longer possible. Uh, joined today by Rebecca Steele. Uh, she's a DNI strategist, thinker, author, uh, very well known in her field for using the uh, design thinking principles in terms of uh, of, uh, of DNI. We're going to be having a discussion around uh, uh, around uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, based largely on uh, a book that she published just prior to uh, to the lockdown happening uh, around the world. Uh, she's co-authored that with Alison Maitland, who's uh, an author and coach uh, based in the UK. The book is Indivisible, Radically Rethinking Inclusion for Sustainable Business Results. So we're going to talk about the book and we're going to talk about the application of some of those principles to the environment we're in now and some thinking about how to maintain momentum around inclusion in organisations during difficult times. So uh, welcome, Rebecca. Uh, delighted you could you could join us. Um, uh, perhaps we could begin by just if you just describe uh, the sort of thinking behind the book in, in very broad, broad, broad terms, you know, why, why you wrote it clearly. Uh, from the from the subtitle, uh, you, you saw a need to radically rethink inclusion. So, just tell us a little bit about the book, and and then we'll uh, we'll move on from there. Sure. Um, well, I think at the core of most of my work is my belief that we can and and really should and must make the most of the full mix of people to solve our most complex challenges, whether that's in business or society, um, including things like how we face the challenges of COVID and its implications. Um, and I do get to bring this to life in my work, connecting diversity and inclusion and design thinking for innovation, focused on you know, driving breakthroughs so we can achieve better results with diversity and inclusion. Um, but this book in particular, while it uh, does not at all disregard diversity, it's specifically focused on inclusion. And the need for radically rethinking inclusion became very clear to me just through my work. Um, after seeing so many business executives and diversity and inclusion leaders who really believed in the opportunities of inclusion, but were so frustrated about what it really means in a very tangible way, uh, what actions and strategies it takes to uh, you know, uh, cultivate inclusion, and also how to measure inclusion and the impact has um, more broadly. So it was some of these incomplete understandings and approaches um, that were so often leading to piecemeal initiatives that really didn't deliver the kind of results that um, leaders are looking for. Right, because I know I heard a, a piece that Dallison did, and she said that sort of diversity is like the potential in an organization, and inclusion is, is realizing that potential. So is that a sort of a, a I mean, she's your co-author, so I guess you're not, you're not going to argue with her. But is that your sort of work, a working definition for you around around the difference? Yeah, it is a very helpful framework for what diversity and inclusion are and how they are complementary, but certainly not the same thing. And that there is this um, sort of latent opportunity within diversity, which is kind of the the full mix of um, similarities and differences that you find in, in a workplace, for example. Um, but inclusion really gives you the opportunity to seize that, um, that uh, potential. And without inclusion, you know, that potential can really be lost. 
And I know in your book there are a couple of examples. You know, you see obviously a number of organisations who will kind of report on on the diversity of their workforce, but seem to stop short of, of then making that connection to general inclusivity and, and and the results that 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 can drive. Yes, I mean that is one of the ongoing sort of challenges in the field is. Um, kind of a narrow perspective of how inclusion can be measured or is measured. Um, and some people feel sort of like, well, that's what everyone's doing. And so that must be good. And I'll do it too. Um, but there are a lot of other people saying, I don't think we're really getting this. I don't think we really are defining inclusion and finding ways to measure it in ways that really help us understand how well we are doing with inclusion today. Are we making progress with the initiatives and strategies that we're taking? Um, what do we know about what might be hindering inclusion? And also that link to you know, what difference is it making in terms of helping with the mission critical purpose of the organization? Right. And I know one of the things that, that comes up in the, in the work I do and, and my my involvement in, in diversity and inclusion is, is through uh, a couple of conferences I do in, in the US each year is this notion of belonging. Um, and you, you, you've chosen, I think, very deliberately to think about inclusion rather than belonging. Uh, and belonging tends to sort of occupy, I think, an area of, of more around feelings. And it seems to me that the decision to pick on inclusion is, is to go for something a little more tangible. Is that is that fair? Yes. I mean, I think part of what's interesting right now is there is a bit of a lean into this concept of belonging and sort of saying, well, isn't diversity and inclusion just all about belonging? And, you know, there it's it's a, a nice idea, but I think it's problematic, and we talk about this in, in the book. Um, you know, belonging is at least as fuzzy as inclusion when you come into thinking exactly what is it and what does it take and how do we measure it. Um, and also, you know, belonging comes most easily um, generally when people are mostly the same. And so it's not, um, it's not a particularly helpful advancement, uh, we believe, when it comes to diversity and equity and inclusion. And, uh, you know, inclusion is actually complex in a lot of ways. Um, there are at least 10 different drivers uh, that enable inclusion. And it can't be sort of reduced down to uh, single concept around belonging. Um, and as you pointed out, it's not just about how people feel. It, it definitely is about how people feel. That's an important component, whether or not people feel included, but that's not enough on its own. Um, we also have to pay attention to actions and behaviors that people are taking. Um, and we also really have to pay attention to what's very frequently overlooked, the, the broader organizational structures that either cultivate inclusion or hinder it. Right. And I know I know. So in, in your earlier comments, they talked about the sort of link to measurements and results. Uh, and that's certainly been a been, um, you know, I see something that, 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 that's very much part of the book. And, and, and I wanted to just dig a little deeper into, into one particular issue around around that. And um, it's prompted by by the uh, I, I believe it was the Financial Times that sort of singled out the book as being particularly notable. I'm not quite sure what the uh, I'm quite recall what the, the kind of classification they do, but it's like, you know, this is the book you should be reading this week. And it's specifically 
focused on the notion of sustainability, the link to sustainability. And then there was a, a part in the book, um, and I know that the case is, is amplified elsewhere that I've seen, um, around Lloyd's Bank in the UK and their commitment to mental health. And the CEO there said, uh, and the quote you have in the book is, inclusion is not just a human resources matter. It's a demonstration of how you're responsible as a company in the world and with your customers, as well as your colleagues. So can you sort of unpack that a little bit and, and, and make the link between that, that drive for diversity and, and the sort of social responsibility slash, slash sustainability of the business? Yes, well, and it's not just sustainability of the business, but we believe sustainability and inclusion are interdependent um, and can help each other. Um, so it's, it is sustainability of a business or an organization in terms of, you know, staying alive and able to enable opportunities to fulfill a purpose of an organization or business. Um, and we also think there's a, a greater link in terms of uh, the common ground between inclusion and sustainability. Um, they're interdependent. And when you think particularly of some of the most complex challenges related to social or economic or environmental sustainability. Um, it requires a global systemic change. And it also really helps if we can include all voices and all ideas, all stakeholders, um, in order to come up with innovations that can help us deal with these really complex sustainability opportunities and challenges. Um, and we also need the commitment of everyone to be included as we face these challenges together. Right, and 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 when when we're, I think also when people think of sustainability, um, or certainly I do, I, I sort of leap to the issue of, of climate change and and the sort of long term um, impact that's having, and, and the kind of changes that that we're, that we're seeing now, and and well, seeing and sort of accelerating. So something sort of maybe talk about how that the, the diversity you know inclusion with an organization helps helps it deal with complex external problems like that yes well um, there, there are multiple ways um, one is when you have insights from multiple people multiple stakeholders who have different backgrounds different experiences different ideas um, it really helps us be more prepared in terms of getting a sense of what's going on today and what's trending into the future. Um, so it gives us a certain preparedness. Um, but I think even more than that, it gives us an opportunity to tap into the collective superpower, if you will, um, that's really needed to help business and society deal with things like COVID and with climate change and other the massive problems we face. You know, there's a wealth of evidence that shows that when you have diverse uh, perspectives, um, and diverse identities working together, that there's an elevated opportunity to come up with groundbreaking breakthrough ideas. And that's the kind of thing that we need to deal with these really massive pressing challenges like environmental sustainability. It seems to me that we're at a uh, you know an interesting point for, for you know the, the, for diversity and inclusion uh, professionals uh, in organizations because on the one hand you know we're, we're going to be moving I think into fairly austere times in terms of spending and often it's DNI budgets that get cut along with other things but on the other hand this is a time at which organizations need inclusion even more than ever so do you think that's a fair assessment of, of where we are and where we're going to be as, as things start to 
uh, sort of un, 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 unwind in terms of, of COVID? Uh, and how can DNI practitioners sort of capitalize on this moment to make sure that they're that they're heard and that dive, and that inclusion is it, it remains a priority with organizations? Yeah, that's a really good point, John. And I think you know because the COVID crisis is so unprecedented and organizations are really struggling with how to manage now, but also, you know, looking forward into what's going to happen as we emerge from, um, you know, stay-at-home recommendations and, and emerge eventually from the crisis altogether. Um, I think it's a really good moment to uh, just kind of pause and rethink a lot of what we've sort of taken for granted in the past. And, you know, think about things like what is inclusive leadership? What is inclusive partnership? Um, what does inclusion really take? And, you know, how can we transform it for the future? Because we don't have to go back to the way things were. This is precisely the kind of disruption. That this is an opportunity to think about what we want the world to be like going forward um, and to think about how inclusion can help us um, not only, uh, you know, make workplaces more human, but also to make uh, workplaces more successful in terms of achieving the, the purpose of the organization, whether that's, you know, sort of, um, capitalist profit, if you will, but but also, you know, any purpose beyond profit. So it's an opportunity to rethink and to very carefully um, start to design the kind of future that we want in our workplaces and in other organizations and in society and beyond. Right, because one of the things that you you sort of slipped in a word there um, uh, early, earlier on, in, 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 along with diversity and inclusion, and that was equity. Uh, and again, you know, from from what I'm seeing around COVID and what's happening is it's certainly I, I, I hesitate to use the words exposed some of the inequities in our society because um, you know I think they were uh, they were quite they were quite clear and, and obvious beforehand, but it certainly brought to the attention of a lot more people and shone a light on, uh, you know, you look at, look at the kind of groups that are more, more affected by this, the inequalities between sort of the essential workers on the front line versus, versus others. I mean, do you, do you see a, a renewed emphasis on the notion of equity as well uh, moving forward? That's really interesting. I mean, before the COVID crisis emerged, um, there definitely has been some additional discussion around should equity be reintroduced as one of the key terms for this body of work. And I do see that happening, um, not consistently around the world, um, but, but certainly seeing a bit more of that showing up. And I think it was partly already a recognition that um, equity had really, um, lost some emphasis in this work in some cases, in many cases, perhaps. And, you know, wanting to emphasize that additional piece that it can't just be about diversity of thought and it can't just be about, you know, having a nice inclusive, uh, you know, organization where people feel like they belong. But we do have to pay attention to this equity, which is, you know, making sure there's nothing irrelevant that's getting in the way of people and their opportunities and their rewards at, at work. Or, or in society more broadly. And I think, as you said, the crisis that we're undergoing right now has really um, given us a, a great insight into inequities that were already abounding 
um, but have just become so apparent when, you know, people's lives are at stake and, and people's um, jobs and economic well-being are at stake. Uh, we're, we're seeing it as uh, one um, reporter, I'm sorry, I can't attribute it to the specific person, but I thought it was really uh, a, a helpful way of thinking about it. Uh, is, you know, sort of like an x-ray into what's already going on in society. And those inequities are really becoming more clear. Yes, it's certainly something I notice in in putting together the conferences that I do, that, that, that as I mentioned earlier, this notion of belonging has become uh, you know, very much a focus for organisations. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a great advocate of, of, of people feeling that they belong. But I do think there is there is a danger as, as we touched on earlier that belonging you know, speaks to people's feelings etc and it can eclipse that notion of the sort of inequalities and, and inequities that that underlie you know that uh, our society um in the sense that well you know we all think we belong here so therefore we don't need to worry about the the, the, the sort of unequal uh, backgrounds and, and and paths that people have had to take and i do think that that's you know something that covid um, has has definitely definitely highlighted, um, and I, I wonder, you know, as as um, thinking about that, the sort of the equity, the belonging, the inclusion, and etc. That that how you you sort of see your just just very briefly, and we touched on it earlier on about the design approach. That how that you know what does that bring to um, to the sort of advancement of inclusion with, within your work. Right. Well, I mean, one thing that has just been very clear to me um, as I've been doing this work over decades in diversity and inclusion is that we're not going to get the kinds of results that stakeholders really want and need if we continue to do the same thing with how we approach diversity and inclusion or diversity and inclusion. Um, we need to do things differently. We need innovation. And so, you know, a lot of my work really does focus on how can we bring that innovation about? How can we come up with transformative um, approaches to diversity and inclusion that help us get better results? Um, and so part of the way that I address that in my work is by blending human-centered design thinking with diversity and inclusion in order to drive innovation. Okay, and, and I think you know, one thing I think one touch on before before we close is um, you know having talked about the sort of the origins of the book and this feeling that, that inclusion has uh, has uh, has fallen short in in the past uh, or organisations' application of it, uh, and looking at how you know this this moment um, is an opportunity for uh, sort of a deeper thinking about inclusion and, and driving sort of real inclusion forward. What what would you? What sort of advice would you give for leaders and 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 folk at this point in time as to how they can maintain inclusion in their workplace? Given that there's no, you know, the workplace has become fragmented and uh, and obviously everything's sort of up in the air. What what are some sort of concrete things that you might uh, you might recommend that people can do right now? Yeah, well, I mean, you're absolutely right um, in in showing that there's this parallel situation going on with the COVID-19 crisis now, and we can learn from that. Um, you know, we know that a lot of people have the virus or are carrying it, even though they feel well. So we realize we cannot rely on feelings alone to tackle this pandemic. We know that individually, we all have to take action, you know, things like washing our hands or staying home and so forth. But those individual actions are also not enough. We need a whole system strategy. 
um, like with COVID, we're really coordinating healthcare systems to help handle the influx of patients. Um, we think that businesses are taking broader strategic action to ensure employees can work from home or to make sure essential employees have the safety and, and protective equipment they need. And we're seeing, you know, government step in to work collaboratively to enforce travel restrictions or, or shelter in place guidelines and so forth to, to intervene and, and keep economies afloat. And so it's a great um, opportunity to reflect on how feelings, actions, and a whole system coordinated strategy are important, not only for COVID, but uh, to recognize before tackling exclusion. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing in terms of something very practical right now is that organizations um, are starting to uh, invite their employees to participate in indivisible reading circles. Um, it gives people an opportunity to read the book, which is just a two or three hour read. Um, and, you know, is very ambitious in its uh, call to action, but also has very specific actions for senior leaders, for middle managers, for indiv uh, individual contributors, um, and also has a lot of, you know, case studies and case examples. So what we're seeing is organizations actually inviting everyone in their organization to read the book on their own. Um, but then also get together in virtual formats to discuss insights and um, discuss what kind of actions people will take as a result of the book. And, you know, this is uh, similar to your podcast. It's a great opportunity to replace the um, learning and the diversity and inclusion and the leadership development opportunities that have been put aside for the moment. And it gives a great opportunity for people to continue that learning and think about how to put things into action. Right, and actually creates a, a you know, in fact, a more more participatory and and sort of level playing field around uh, you know people reading and then contributing their thoughts versus you know maybe encountering it in a you know in a more traditional traditional environment. Exactly, and you know, just to remind people that in these times, it really is possible to shift away from the fear and mistrust that we can sometimes see, and shift more towards openness um, and and caring about the perspectives of everyone, and to take responsibility to make inclusion happen. Well, I think that's a, a really a great place to stop because I, I think that the. Um, uh, you know, I think one, you know, one of the characteristics of this time you know, very much is fear. Uh, and I think for, uh, for a lot of people and for, for you know, for very, for very good reason, unfortunately, but we are seeing, you know, a, a, a rise, I think, in, in people expressing affection, appreciation, caring, uh, and, uh, and the like. And, and that, I think is where 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 the future lies. So uh, I'll certainly express my my affection and, and appreciation for you right now, Rebecca, for for, for joining us here today. And um, I look forward to a time when we can uh, we can share a stage again in the future. So uh, until then, uh, uh, I wish you health and uh, happiness and a safe uh, a safe a safe journey from here to uh, to whatever's next. Thanks, and, and you as well, John. <laughs>